Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome to you as we gather to worship God together. I do hope many of you enjoyed uh, Friday night, those who were able to, to come along to the Hope and Glory Choir. Uh, it was just a wonderful time to hear some beautiful singing and some amazing testimonies of all that the Lord Jesus has done in the young people's lives. And we do pray for their journey as they go on to Northern Ireland. We praise God for what he has done in their lives so far. Uh, Continuing on the the theme of uh, the nations, uh, next Sunday morning uh, we'll have a guest speaker, uh, Steve Smith from SIM, uh, who will come to speak to us. That will be part of our World uh, Mission Sunday. Uh, In the evening we'll have a a prayer and praise, which will be at at 6 o'clock as normal. Um, And again, that will be focused on uh, world mission. So please do, uh, if you're available, please do come to to both of those. It'd be great uh, to see you. As we continue this morning in our letter on uh, 1 John, uh, Sarah will be preaching from chapter 2 on uh, being alive in Christ. As we come uh, to worship this morning, let me read from uh, 1 John chapter 1 as we rejoice in the amazing privileges that God has given us in his son, Jesus. John says this, This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have fellowship with you and with your Son, Jesus Christ. That we don't have that because of anything that we have done, but all because of what you have done for us. And so, Lord, as we come to worship you now, help us to lay down our burdens before you, to calm our wandering hearts, and that we would meet with you this morning and be changed by you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As the young people leave, uh, let us spend some time in prayer together. Let's join our hearts and pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence because of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Thank you that we do not know you because of our efforts or because we are smarter than others, but only because you have graciously revealed yourself to us in your Son our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that every spiritual blessing that we now enjoy is only made possible in and through Jesus. Thank you, Lord, as we didn't, you didn't need to reveal yourself to us in any way, but in love you have come down to us and revealed yourself to us that we can enjoy an eternal relationship of love and peace and joy with you as your spirit testifies in our hearts that we are your children and you are our heavenly father 
Thank you, Father, that nothing can snatch us away from you, that you hold us tight in your loving embrace and keep us in your love. Lord, where would we be without you? And Father, we are sorry for the times in which we live as though you did not exist. When we live self-reliant lives, thinking we're strong enough, wise enough, capable enough to do everything and anything without you. Help us, Lord, to rest in your words that without you, we can do nothing. Help us to live not dependent on ourselves and our own strength, but on you and your power at work within us by your spirit. Lord, we want to lift up all those who are struggling right now. We pray for those who have lost family members recently. We pray for Jeff Oatley and the family as they mourn the loss of Jean and prepare for the funeral service on Friday the 28th of October. We pray for Val and the family. We pray for Lila and Stuart, for Rob and his family as they grieve the loss of loved ones. We pray, Lord, for those who are caring for elderly parents and feeling stretched. We pray for those who are caring for their children and at times feeling overwhelmed. We pray for those who are having challenges in their marriage and for those who are struggling in their singleness. Lord, would you draw close to them and be their comfort, their rock, their refuge, and their strength today. Father, we want to take a moment of quiet to pray for those on our hearts as we present them before you now. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us by your grace, that every good gift comes from your hand. Help us, therefore, to have hearts which are full of joy and thanksgiving, and then that would flow out into generous and joy-filled giving. And please, Lord, accept our tithes and offerings today as an act of worship to you. Father, we thank you for the great joy of the Hope and Glory Choir on Friday night. And we pray for their time in Northern Ireland, that you would be glorified in and through their singing and their testimonies of all that you've done in their lives. We pray for Dave Green and for others who are heading out to Eswatini on Thursday. We pray that they would all be safe and that it would be an encouraging and fruitful time for everyone involved. And in reaching the nations, we do also pray for Steve and Matilda as they serve Wycliffe here in the UK. We pray for Steve as he's almost finished typesetting the Bullum New Testament. And we pray, Lord, for, for that to be sent to press soon. We pray for the logistics of that process. And we pray as well for new typesetters who will uh, translate more of your word into other languages. We pray for our world. We pray for those in Ukraine and in uh, Russia, Lord, for those who are really struggling and suffering as a result of the war, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy there and bring peace. We pray for Pakistan as well. We pray for for them as they uh, try and resolve, uh, try and recover from the floods. 
And we pray for the people in Florida as well as they recover from the recent hurricane. And Father, as, as we come to your word now, we pray for Terry, who will read it, and for us, that we would be attentive to it. We pray for Sarb as he preaches your word. May he do so clearly, boldly, and powerfully, that we may leave this place transformed as we meet with you, the living God, in your living word. For we ask all these things in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So yes, we're going to read from one of the little John letters at the end of the New Testament, from 1 John 2, 18 to 27. That's page 1226, if you've got one of these, and if you've got a large print, it's 1858. So 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you... See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, The anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Terry, thank you very much indeed for reading for me. Could we pray? just before we come to God's word. Uh, The psalmist writes this uh, in Psalm 19. It says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. More by them is your servant warned. 
in keeping them, there is great reward. Heavenly Father, I do pray that uh, as we uh, dwell upon your word, uh, Father, I do pray that uh, our hearts uh, would be ready, uh, soften them, uh, quicken our minds, uh, put away our distractions, help us to be attentive uh, to your still, small voice. Encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Colin said, uh, we're continuing our series through 1 John. Uh, As we mentioned last week, the churches that John writes to are being unsettled uh, by false teaching. Uh, Teaching that, uh, if left unchecked, uh, will undermine the church. And the issues of false teachers are, unsurprisingly, just as relevant today as they were uh, 2,000 years ago. And John writes to both warn us uh, and also to encourage us. And as we look at the passage today, I want us to see these three things. I want us to see that we need to be alert uh, to dangers, to the dangers. Uh, We need to be alive uh, to the truth, the truth of the Lord Jesus. And we also need to abide in the word. So alert, alive, abide. Uh, But before we dig into that, I just want to share a little bit about the structure of the passage that we'll be looking at, uh, just so that we can get our orientation as uh, as we journey through. Um, uh, in verse 18, uh, John tells us uh, that the deniers will come. Deniers will come, so don't be surprised. So the deniers will come. And then he tells us in verse 19 where the deniers come from. Skips back to verse 20 to 21, and he reminds us of a truth, of the truth. And then he skips across verses 22 to 23 uh, to make clear what the false teaching is. And then uh, he draws that together with uh, an explanation of why we should abide. So with that, let's tuck in, be alert to the dangers. As we've journeyed through uh, the letter of 1 John, we've seen that John's been pointing out uh, some of the errors that they found, uh, well, he's found, uh, that have been expressed in the church. And we've uh, we've looked at uh, some of those errors, haven't we? Uh, There have been errors about living uh, without sin, claiming that we can be without sin, uh, that obedience uh, to the commands of God are, well, they're uh, not essential, uh, they're not necessary, uh, that it's possible uh, to know God and still to hate your Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, and also, then finally, to deny that holy living wasn't something that was necessary. You didn't need uh, to be set apart from God. And these were the errors uh, that were creeping uh, into the church. And we spent some time last time looking at those. And the church, it seems, hadn't expected false teachers to arise. They hadn't expected opposition uh, to the message to come forward. Uh, so take a look at me, uh, with me at uh, verse 18. John writes this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now John tells us that this is the last hour. Uh, He opens uh, this verse and he closes this verse uh, with uh, a focus on the last hour. And sandwiched in between that uh, is is pointing to the Antichrists. Now, the the last hour here, you know, literally it cannot mean the final 60 minutes. Uh, Wherever John is writing from, uh, it would have taken weeks for the letter to have reached all of the churches that needed to receive it. He could not have meant a literal 60 minutes but rather that the final times have come, a final season, when the opposition to the message of Jesus, opposition to the gospel, would indeed come. 
And the ones who are bringing this opposition are called antichrists. Uh, John here isn't talking about uh, the final deceiver in the book of Revelation uh, at the end of times or Hollywood horror figures, uh, but rather quite simply those who are against Christ, anti-Christ. And John says because there are people who are anti-Christ, that's how you know the time that you're in. You're in the final hour because the people who oppose the gospel, the antichrists are there. So John is telling the church then and he's telling us now that we need to be alert because many people are against the gospel. Uh, We mustn't be surprised that people oppose the message of Jesus or indeed will try to corrupt the message. But what's particularly troubling to the church is that these antichrists come from from them. Take a look at verse 19 with me. They went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. What's really troubling the people is that the people carrying the message opposing the gospel, the Antichrists, came out of their church. They went out from us, writes John. They came out of the fellowship of those who are getting this letter. They were members of it. They used to be part of the church. People who Sunday by Sunday would have been singing the latest City of Light song at the top of their voices. Might have been involved in Friday at 7 or the community cafe or toy box or offering hospitality. Evangelizing their friends, leading Bible studies and taking them to the Keswick Convention. It's these people who are part of the fellowship who are spreading error around the church. People in positions of responsibility who are teaching that you didn't need to obey the word of God or love your brothers and sisters in Christ or live holy lives. And so those teaching falsely left the fellowship. And as John says, they went out from us. John tells them that they know that they are the Antichrist because they left. They left the fellowship. Their leaving, John says, proves that none of them belonged to us. They may have been very vocal about a new way of living or of being, but because they left the fellowship, they were not of Christ. And then in verses 22 to 23, take a look with me. John sets out what the false teaching had at its core. He writes this, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And here we have the problem that lies underneath the problems that the church has. The Antichrists are denying that Jesus is the Christ. Underneath their desire to admit they are sinful... Underneath their refusal to obey the word of God, underneath their loving attitude or their lack of love for their Christian brothers and sisters, and underneath their love of the world, beneath all of that is this. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny it by lip and they deny it by life. They deny that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is both fully and truly God and fully and truly man. 
They deny that Jesus is the God-man that came to rescue his people. They deny that Jesus is the one true Son of God. So to deny Jesus is then to deny God, the one who sent Jesus. Without Jesus, rejecting Jesus means there is no access to the Father, says John. Now, there are lots of things that we as a church family can disagree on, aren't there? Uh, or, you know, really violently disagree on. And many of these issues are secondary or tertiary issues. Should we sing old hymns or should we sing new hymns? What's the right clothing for the pastor to wear? Or what's the right clothing for us to wear when we gather together on a Sunday? Must baptism be only by full immersion? Should we have a stronger focus on mission or less of a focus on mission? Do I have to be a member of LCBC? There are lots of things that we can disagree about. And none of those secondary or tertiary matters should be things that cause us to leave the fellowship. We should hold gracefully to those second and third order convictions and be happy to agree to disagree. Those matters do not affect our salvation. But John says there are certain truths, the truths about Jesus that we must affirm. There are salvation matters that John insists that we affirm. And who Jesus is, that's not something that we as Christians can agree to disagree on. Which brings us to our second point, being alive to the truth. Now, the Antichrist have gone out denying that Jesus is the Christ. And as we've seen, John does not mince his words. He calls them liars because they deny the truth. And it's the truth that they and we need to be alive to. So what is the truth? It's what John's been laying out for us. If you've got your Bibles open, can I just invite you to turn back to John chapter uh, uh, 1, John chapter 1. And John sets out his eyewitness account to the reality of the God-man Jesus. Uh, he writes there in verses 1 to 2 that he saw him, he touched him as well, verses 1 to 2. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Saviour. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, we find that Jesus is the Saviour because he dies in our place. Jesus is the sin-bearing, atoning sacrifice. In other words, Jesus pays the price for our rebellion, yours and mine against God. So that through trusting in what Jesus has done, we can be made right with God. Right at the very heart of Christian things, right at the very heart of Christianity, is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is, what God has done in and through him, where Jesus is now, who we are in Christ, and the truth of Jesus' return with the renewal of all things. It's the truth of Jesus that John holds out. And John knows that they do know it. He tells us that in verse 20 and verse 21. Indeed, three times John reminds them that they know the truth. And it's by knowing that truth that they won't be led away by false teachers. It's by knowing the truth that means they won't be led astray by something that's counterfeit. And so we can understand why John's language is so strong, can't we? He calls them liars, the false teachers. The false teachers are seeking to destroy the church. They're seeking to tear down that which God is building. To tear down the living stones. That's you and me. The temple of the Holy Spirit. 
For without Jesus as God's one true son, as the saviour, you cannot have the father. There is no salvation without Jesus. And so to deny Jesus has eternal consequences. So the call to us is to hold to the truth. But as we've seen, the false teachers, well, they're especially dangerous as they come from inside the church. They seem, well, they seem so plausible. They seem so believable. So how do we, how do we hold on to Jesus? How do we discern the truth from a lie? How do we work out what's real from what's counterfeit? Now, we can do worse than take a, a, a brief lesson from the banking system in the United States of America. Uh, in the early 20th century, there were a huge number of forgery scams uh, going around the banks. All sorts of fake dollar bills of different denominations were being deposited in one branch, and then real dollar bills were being withdrawn in another branch. Now, the banks could have trained their staff in what to look out for in fake dollar bills. The way that the watermarks were set, the placing and the orientation of the numbers, uh, the pictures, the size. They could have looked at all of the different forgeries and spent ages looking at the different forgeries. But they didn't do that. Rather, they got the bank tellers to hold, to handle, and to look at real dollar bills to get to know the weight, to get to know the texture, the feel, the smell, uh, the placing of the lines, the pictures, just so they were completely immersed in what a real dollar bill looked like. They spent endless hours immersed at looking and handling real money. And they did that so much that when somebody came in with a forgery, they could tell straight away that it was wrong and They could tell straight away that it was a forgery. Now, they might not have been able to tell you how it was a forgery, but they knew what was real from what was counterfeit. For the banks in the US, what was at stake was forged money. But with the gospel, what's at stake is our eternal salvation. Stakes couldn't be higher. So the call on us is to be like those bank tellers, to be so immersed in the truth of who Jesus is that we are absolutely alive to Christ. So that when false teaching comes, we're alert to it. How do we do that? Three simple things that we can do. Firstly, we can sit under sound teaching. Uh, ensure that you are being taught the entire counsel of God. Ensure that your pastors, your elders, your small group leaders are pointing you to Christ, that we are encouraging you and urging you to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and as Saviour, as your God. And hold us accountable for that sound teaching and encourage us in that. Uh, Secondly, be in the word daily, Uh, not just in a hurry to read and then in your mind think, tick, done that. No. Allow the truth of what you have read to settle in your hearts. Allow the truth of God's character and his promises to shape your heart. Use the Bible reading that you have had that day as fuel for your prayers that day. Listen to God as he speaks to you by his spirit and through his word. Get to know his voice. 
And thirdly, ask questions. Uh, The Christian faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's a faith that is based upon historical facts, things that God has revealed in history. It's a faith that will withstand your questions. Uh, If you're in a small group, use that small group to wrestle with the truth, with wrestle with the word of God. And remember, not everything's going to be a salvation issue. So question gracefully. Don't run people over if they don't share your conclusion on matters that aren't salvation issues. So that's the truth to be alive to. Uh, John also tells us that we are to abide in the truth, and that's our third point. Uh, John has told the church uh, and us that being alive to the truth can help us to be alert to errors. But what he also does is not just use the truth of Jesus as a corrective, But he also reminds us of what we have in Jesus and therefore a call for us to abide or remain in the truth. Take a look with me at verses 24 and 25. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he promised us, eternal life. If we remain in what we've heard, if we remain in the truth of who Jesus is as God has revealed it to us in his word, if we remain in what we've heard, then we will remain in the son and we will remain in the father. See, the way into the Christian faith is by hearing and responding to the word of God. Hearing of God's son and his paying of the price of our rebellion and responding to that in repentance and in faith. And the way that we journey on in our faith is in exactly the same way. We remain in the truth that we have heard. We remain in Jesus. We abide in Jesus. And as we abide in Jesus, the truth abides in us. And here John gives us two encouragements uh, for our journey as Christians. He calls us to look back. Yeah, do you see that? See what you have heard from the beginning. And he calls us to look forward. And this is what he promised us eternal life look back and look forward firstly looking back we had the uh, hope and glory choir here on friday night Uh, seven young people from eswatini who had had the most terrible starts in life Uh, they told of how uh, they look back at their lives and told stories of Lives blighted by extreme poverty, rape and sexual abuse, jail time, drug and alcohol dependence, and domestic violence, the most brutal domestic violence. Uh, The trauma that they had experienced had hardened their hearts. Nothing that the world offered them could make them see past their hurt and their pain. Now, some of us have experienced considerable trauma in our lives, and again, for us, for that pain... There is nothing that the world can hold out to help us see past it. But John says, look back at what you have heard from the beginning. It's a call to look back to what God has done in Jesus. What God has done to make it possible for us to be in a right relationship with him. The son of God dying on a cross. And that's what the young people from Eswatini saw. They glimpsed. The depth of God's love, a love for each one of them 
that was so profound that, that God would break into time and space to rescue them from their pain. A love so resolute, he would send his only son to die on a Roman cross to bring those who had lost their families permanently and eternally into his family. They look back through their pain. They look back past their trials, past the abandonment that the world had, had poured upon them. They look back at the cross. And there they saw a love from outside the world. A love that broke into the world for them. They looked back at Jesus, the God-man, and they saw in him a love that knew what it is to be abandoned by his best friends, as Jesus was by Peter. A love that knows what it is to be beaten and bloodied, as Jesus was by those who interrogated him at trial. A love that knows what it is to be brutalized, as Jesus was on the cross. A love that knows what it is to lose sight of your father, as Jesus cries out on the cross to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The young people of Eswatini looked back and they saw that they were loved to the skies by the God who created all things. And that gave them meaning, purpose, identity, and a power to cope with suffering and adversity. And they responded to that love. And every day they look back at the cross. They remember what they heard from the beginning. And their testimonies were just overflowing with the love that God has for them. Guilt and shame gone. Now known and loved. Secondly, we look forward. Uh, in verse 25, John tells us that God has promised us eternal life, that we can look forward to an eternity face to face with God in a place where there is no more suffering, no more pain or death, where the old order of things has passed away. The promise that death isn't the end. Uh, but is that all that eternal life is? Merely the quantity of life that we have. Now, eternal life isn't less than that, but it is so much more. It is so much more. It's not just quantity, eternal, but it's also quality. It's life. Uh, quite literally, the Greek that's translated into English, eternal life, uh, is a phrase which is read, life of the age to come. It's a life that's found in the age to come. It's a life that's found in the age where we live face to face with God. It's a life that we have in a place where there is no pain, suffering or death. It's a life where our deepest eternal needs are met. A place where the corruption and sin in the world no longer plague our hearts. Where fear and anxiety no longer drive our actions where we love God fully and our neighbours as ourselves, where the fear of death is banished. And John tells us in verses 24 to 25 that as we remain in the truth, which we heard from the beginning, as we remain in the Son and the Father, that the promised eternal life is ours. 
that as the Spirit works in our heart, he will bring more and more of the life of the age to come, that eternal life, into our lives now. We can start to see life of the age to come in our lives now. We can start to taste it. We can start to experience it. Not fully, but enough that it will transform our hearts and it will transform our lives. And to the degree that we will abide in the truth and remain in Jesus, then over time the life of the age to come will become more and more a lived reality in our lives today. And gradually there will be a growing depth to each one of us that the world simply cannot explain. Uh, there'll be a deep joy in our hearts that the ups and downs of the world just cannot rob us of. There'll be a contentedness, a deep contentedness in our hearts. Uh, we'll be able to fully enjoy the good things of the world without being bound to them. We'll be able to love those that the, the world calls unlovable. We'll desire to be with God's people and to care for them. We'll laugh more deeply and we will cry more quickly. I wonder, do you recognize that in your own lives? And the testimonies of the young people from Eswatini spoke of a supernatural capacity to forgive and to reconcile, to know the love of God and to be healed. What we saw was not willpower, but rather the life of the age to come, eternal life, breaking out in their hearts. We saw the fruit of the life of the age to come, that eternal life being brought forward into this age, into this time, into their hearts now. And if we will remain in what we have heard, if we will remain in the Son, then the Spirit will be at work in our hearts to bring that eternal life to bear more and more in our lives as well. What a joyous promise that is. Let's pray. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for that incredible promise of life of the age to come. Thank you that as your spirit dwells in our hearts, that we can know that. And thank you that we can know that only because of your Son. Stir our hearts afresh, we pray. Might we be uh, alert to the dangers of false teaching. Might our hearts be full to overflowing with the joy of knowing what you have done for us in and through Christ, that we are able to discern truth from lie. And Father, I pray that as we dwell and meditate on all you've done for us, that that life of the age to come would overflow in our own hearts. Now place in our hearts a yearning for that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me uh, close with the words from 2 Corinthians from the benediction there. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.